0: space travelers to an out of this world edition of the george sanders show this week tying in with the recent release of jonathan glazer's film under the skin we'll be discussing that as well as john carpenter's 1984 film star man starring jeff bridges scarlett johansson's star of under the skin will be our person of the week and we'll be picking our cinema central doppelganger films with me as always is sean gilman hello sean hello mike uh that's all, you know, that's all the normal stuff we're going to be talking about this episode, but we do have two special things that we're going to be talking about this week that I think you, in particular, are very excited about, uh, one of which is uh, Jim Jarmusch's new film, Only Lovers Left Alive, which we both got a chance to see uh, in the last couple of weeks. So this show actually might just turn into an Only Lovers Left Alive the show, <laughs> so be forewarned out there that... Uh, we might get spoilerific on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know um, that you can really spoil any of these movies.
0: The other special thing this week is, is going to be uh, us talking about the upcoming Seattle International Film Festival, um, which you and I are actually covering uh, in an official capacity this year, which is uh, kind of weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really weird. Weird, especially since I, we've... I've lived, I know I've lived in, in the Seattle area for, it'll be, this will be like the 16th Seattle International Film Festival that I will have been in town for, and I've only ever seen one movie there, so.
0: <laughs> Which was a, a film mentioned on the, fir- or discussed on the first episode of the show.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: and I and I think that's actually what helped us, I because th- at least in my application for a press thing, um, I touted our discussion of uh drug war um, <laughs> and said and said that we did it at the you know it was a seattle international film festival uh pick yeah, so course, i'm sure that's,
1: that episode came out like two months after the festival but
0: who cares <laughs> i don't think they actually follow up on any of this stuff i mean obviously if they gave us press passes um
1: speaking of which we yeah, should do something something exciting for the one year anniversary of the george sanders show
0: do you want to watch a Johnny Toe movie?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that could be our like annual tradition. Once a year we watch okay. a Johnny
0: Toe movie. Well, I mean, you know, that could keep us going for a good fifty years or so. So I and, think that sounds good.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there we go.
0: Well, this show is pretty jam-packed as it is, so I think enough out of us for now. Let's uh listen to a clip from Under the Skin. Yeah. Let's get under under the skin. <laughs>
2: The phone. Yes. Become you think I'm pretty? Well, I gorgeous. I time you touch someone.
0: a clip from under the skin jonathan glazer's new film starring scarlett johansson uh, as an alien that lands in scotland and spends much of the movie driving around in a van picking up single men and taking them back to her place for a night of hanky panky or so they think um turns into something a bit more nefarious and the film is uh, how do you set up under the skin (laughs)
1: It's uh it's got uh hardly any dialogue just the barest elements of plot it's mostly all mood and and music and long languorous takes and weird imagery and yeah people walking into blackness it's it's a hard movie to describe because because so much of it is is non Linear. Verbal. It's
0: a, it's a, yeah, it's nonverbal. There's not much of a plot to this thing. Um, it, it, it's more of a mood piece than anything else. Um, so, you know, digging into the plot points of this movie is is a game, and I think we're smart enough not to try and do that. Um, I I haven't seen any other Jonathan Glazer films. Uh, he's only done two uh, previous to this birth and sexy beast uh, if I'm not mistaken um
1: yeah I, I haven't seen any anything else from him either
0: okay I mean he, he he also did a lot of music videos too um which I think we've probably seen some of his stuff there but um I really responded to this movie at least on a visceral level um I I, I don't think that there's much to this movie in terms of like themes or or something to really chew on in terms of the story or or what if there's anything under the surface in under the skin um but for me that didn't matter because you know i go to movies for you know to see new things and 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 to be exposed to interesting visions and stuff and this movie's got it in spades Um, i think the first Five minutes of this movie the credit sequence is some of the best stuff I've seen in a, in a theater in years like I was I was on board with this thing from the from the word go um just on the on like I said a visceral level um how did you respond to the film Sean uh
1: in in much the same way uh I really I was I was really glad to watch it I really enjoyed like the experience of, of watching this this really odd movie, but it it left me feeling really kinda depressed.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's Which, why I liked it more than you. <laughs> yeah, and I you like, know I and, like getting depressed.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um some sometimes art should make us depressed, I guess. But uh yeah I don't know i'm i'm really I'm really kind of kind of mixed in in my thoughts about the film because I think there's it's it's so unusual to have something so unusual show up on our like art house multiplex screens that i really I really appreciate the film for for giving me something that I've never seen before on on the other hand in the last third of the movie or so it turns into something I've seen before. And that something turns out to just be really kind of cynical and depressing. And I didn't really care for that.
0: I I'll agree with you on that. I think the, the, I think the movie gets weaker as it goes. Um, And that, and like I said, that I think that first five minute section, um, which, and this doesn't spoil anything really. It's, it's very abstract in the beginning. Um, and it's it's kind of this it's like a the forming of an eyeball or it could be a creature falling from space it's it's i don't know but it's it's this just very uh abstract moody thing with this absolutely gorgeous music to it and uh and those elements for this movie are the are the best parts for me and and they happen throughout the film but the yeah the final third it gets a little more schematic a little more like you said something that we've seen before um although i still think there's some pretty strong stuff near the end of this thing um but yeah definitely it doesn't sustain the power of the beginning for me um
1: yeah i really like and and it's a it's a re- you know recurring image in the film, and there are lots of of great images that are just really kind of uh, uh, creepy and disturbing. But uh, my favorite is just this this one that we see several times, which is like the uh, where the uh, the men that that Scarlett Johansson has brought back to her to her house uh, meet to their end. It's it is,
0: amazing how they did this that scene. It's
1: it's so I mean. It's such a, a an interesting way of, of getting across like a, a sci-fi thing. Like it's she's basically like uh like uh eating them and using them for like energy as aliens do when they, they harvest human bodies. Uh spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, but but it's it's presented in such a an odd kind of hypnotic way of like the she's walking ahead of the man and we hear like music playing and she starts you know taking her clothes off and we see the man wa- the man walking behind her and it, the screen is just all black with like this black mirror surface that they're walking on and the two are slowly walking and taking their clothes off and gradually the man like hypnotized by Scarlett Johansson starts to sink into the floor, and he ends up, like, you know, drowning in blackness, where he gets, like, devoured, and it's really cool.
0: <laughs> it's really, really cool, and um, this, and what's great about that stuff, that scene, too, is, and and this goes for the whole movie, the, my favorite thing about this, the visuals are incredible, but I think the sound design thing yeah. is unparalleled. I mean, it's just amazing and and what's so amazing about it is that the movie knows when to not only like turn it up a notch but when to be quiet and in that in those scenes um all sound will disappear for a stretch and it'll just be the the sound of their feet or and then when the guys are um you know under the water in this gelatinous whatever black void or whatever it is um it's just suffocating because it just sucks everything out and then there's a there's kind of a scare moment um, that comes with just that's just perfectly played out and, and it's and the lack of sound leading up to it is just phenomenal um, and I and the, and the music too I, I, when I say sound design I'm, I'm not just talking about like the um, practical sound but um, the the music by I think this is a first- time film composer too uh, Micah something or other I don't have the name in front of me Michael, but, uh,
1: Michael Levy. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And uh it's a very, you know, jittery kind of violin thing going on that's very disorienting and uh man. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, it's really really good. Yeah, so
1: like the uh the the alien functions, you know, a lot like a spider, which is is somewhat interesting that Scarlett Johansson is playing her, who, you know, of course is the Black Widow from Avengers. Oh, is she yeah (laughs) um but yeah this just this this kind of uh uh you know spider-like way that she she you know preys on these these poor deluded scottish men uh yeah, it's very neat, and and for the the first two thirds of the movie, that's it's pretty much all that happens. Is she drives around, she she picks up guys, she talks to them. If they have like anyone else in their life or anything going on, she lets them go, but if they're they're loners, she eats them. And then and then the movie you know takes a turn as she you know starts to become like curious about humanity. Uh, she's uh, much like uh, uh, Jeff Bridges' alien in, in Starman, she, she's taken the the form of a human, even though she's not human, and she uh, kind of becomes curious about her human humanity and, and what it actually means to be human. And then, you know, from there, you know, she kind of uh, follows a more conventional movie kind of path where she, like, tries to be human, and it really doesn't work out for her, which which I I thought was really kind of cynical and not all Uh, that interesting.
0: I don't think it's entirely cynical. One of my favorite parts in the movie is actually um, when she kind of becomes domesticated a little bit and she she meets this guy. She's she's kind of wandering. Um, She doesn't know where she's going. She doesn't know what she's doing. And she's walking along and she meets this guy near a bus stop and he takes her home and he's very sweet to her like he you know he makes her dinner and um he's very you know he he's chivalrous he like you know carries her across a pond a wet pond so she doesn't get all muddy or whatever um yeah and but, I but, that but that's that w-
1: that's that's played just as much as as like it's it's pathetic and and sad as it is nice like i, I, I don't
0: know i i didn't their,
1: think the, it was their sex scene is is awful
0: do you mean it's awfully done, or it's an it's a scene that
1: the taught, se- that the, is... the sex is awful and it's awfully done? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't go there. I mean, the sex is awful. Yes, because... it 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 has
1: like a really funny joke at the end of it, but like you know, putting it in like the context of where she's going, like she's trying to lead like this normal human life. And what that means is like this drab, dull, nice existence with terrible sex, because apparently that's what like normal human life is like.
0: <laughs> I, I, you know, to be honest, I didn't quite read it that way as you did. Like, okay. um, I, I, I felt like you know his life was, you know, it, it's pretty mundane, but it was, it was kind of cozy and cute. And, you know, he puts a little song on the radio and he's doing the dishes and he's, you know, he's, you know, he's watching some guy on TV, you know, counting off the pots, or whatever, that was, whatever that Scottish thing that was going on was. Um, and he, he's, you know, he seemed like a sweet guy. I, and I don't know. I think that the, I don't know. I, I didn't read that necessarily as, oh, this is, you know, the bad sex is what happens to, you know, people because we're all boring and this sucks, blah, 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 blah. But maybe that's what was going on. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, and, then, and then she finds, you know, the the thing that really sucks about people is when she goes for a walk on the woods and just happens to meet a, a rapist, as you will when you go walking in the woods and she gets caught in in his trap which you know is you know like neon you know space heater lights flashing irony <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah yeah well like i said um the story and, and, I you know, do you think that there's an underlying thing to this movie? Because like I said in the beginning, I I don't think that there's much to chew on. And I, I don't... Maybe I was trying to avoid the idea that there was some sort of grand theme or ideas behind this movie instead of just being this kind of more visceral... Um,
1: I mean, if, if there is, I don't think it's anything more complicated than, like, people suck. Right. Which you know, is fine. <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> I, well, I it's mean,
0: true, Sean.
1: I mean, this <laughs> this movie, like, uh, uh, above and beyond anything else, what this movie made me feel the most was, was that Scotland is, like, a horrible place that I never want to go.
0: See, that's so funny, because that's what Lindy said when we walked out of it. <laughs> and I was... <laughs> we're planning a trip to Europe we're going to Europe in uh July and uh, originally we're just going to go to Germany but then we've extended we're going to go to Paris for a few days um and it's so funny because watching this movie I was like man Scotland looks really nice like I I could I could spend a couple of days there so maybe it's me maybe I'm the alien here um (laughs) she she, (laughs) she was so adamantly opposed to that after to watch this movie and I was like you know it's very pretty it's very you know green kind of wet and you know <laughs> but
1: you know Well, so we, we, we live in the Seattle area you know what it's like when you walk around in the in the rain and like the the rain soaks through your shoes and like your socks get wet so you have like the soggy yeah, but then feet you go do... yeah uh uh sitting in the auditorium perfectly dry watching this movie I have like the the soggy feet feeling that I get just because it's so like cold and rainy on screen.
0: Yeah, but that, but what's so great about that is that you get a you know get home to your little space heater and you get a you know warm up. And
1: uh... I don't like movies that make my feet cold. <laughs> but speaking of thought- Scotland, like one one interesting parallel I got. From this and it's probably just because I, I saw this other movie like a week before i saw this is uh is with brigadoon the the uh-huh. vincent Manelli musical and I, I i don't know if you've seen brigadoon
0: i have not seen brigadoon
1: uh well it's uh uh gene kelly goes is like on a hunting trip and he comes across this this village that appears only once for one day every hundred years It's, like, under a a curse or a blessing, depending on your point of view. Like, it it just appears out of the mist, and then it disappears at midnight. And on, like, the one day of the year he's there, he meets and falls in love with Sid Charisse and ends up kind of rejecting his normal life and going off to live in this, like, enchanted Scottish village with Sid Charisse for, you know, forever, apparently. Well, who wouldn't? right and and so in we have uh I'm, I'm just kind of imagining under the skin as a much much darker version of of brigadoon with with sid Sharice as the alien who like appears and entraps Jean kelly in her web and like drags her off to her you know enchanted scottish uh paradise
0: i take it back uh, i'm not the alien you're the <laughs> alien Sean. <laughs> <laughs> um I sure that I mean I can't I haven't seen it but I love Sigourney and I can totally see her being an alien because um, yeah. she's otherworldly. Um but let's I know we're going to talk about her later as our person of the week but um but Scarlett Johansson is crucial to this movie. She really is. Can we let's talk I mean just briefly talk about her performance in this film and um I think she's fantastic and I think um I think it's a uh, it's it like a deceptively difficult role to play. Like I, um, she does these. She has these moments. He kind of turns everything off, facial expression wise. Like she'll be talking to some guy, but then as soon as he walks away, she becomes this blank. Um, I, think, um, I think.
1: I think that. I think that plays to her strengths. I think there's a, a certain blankness to her as an actress like she's 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 really good at at vacant and it's not that i like think that she's like empty as a human i think you know it's just something in her screen persona it's just something that she puts across well
0: yeah i was i was trying to think of somebody else like can like some contemporary um that could play this role um and i was having a real hard time picking somebody um
1: well I, i i actually think either of the stars of uh only lovers left alive could do this. I think both both Tilda Swinton and, and Tom Huddleston are, are great at at Alien.
0: Yeah, but it's a different kind of Alien. Like, sure, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think anybody could play it like Scarlett Johansson could play it. I guess is what I'm saying. And and Definitely. the way she plays it has a like. I don't know. I can't see Tilda Swinton in the 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 praying mantis scenes as it were, or at least having them play out like they do with Scarlett Johansson. Obviously Scarlett Johansson is a sex pot, you know, or, you know, that's that, you know, she's like, yeah, like they, the, ha, they the have, they have
1: a different kind of attractiveness, but there's, there's something very, uh, insect like about Tilda Swinton.
0: Oh, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about Tilda. And I mean, yeah, I, my heart goes pitter-patter when I see Tilda Swinton. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. but um, well, she's, anyway, she's, I, I she's
1: also Scottish, so, you know, she would have that going go. for her. Whereas, whereas uh, for her. Scarlett Johansson's accent is a little uh, alien.
0: <laughs> it, which is perfect. There you go. It's fine.
1: Uh, um. the, what, what was the most uh, disturbing sequence of the film for you? Because um, there's a lot of disturbingness. You know, I think understand.
0: it has to i think it has to be the scene I was referring to earlier um, where a, one of the new recruits that she takes into her den um, gets submerged in this black void and he runs into or not runs into but he's he's facing another man who has been um you know consumed earlier and his body's slowly like withering away and they they try and Communicate to each other. Try he tries to reach out for this guy, and um, the guy just kind of becomes obliterated. And yeah, uh, I, I terrifying. That, I,
1: I thought that was really cool. I thought it was actually kind of funny. Like the the other guy seemed to have this look on the face on his face, like, yeah, I know. What are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I don't know. I mean, that was pretty spooky. Like when his body just completely disintegrates and then he turns into like a wisp of. Flesh or whatever. Um, oh, actually, the, I just the, thought of the other one. Okay, okay you're probably gonna say it. You're, no, you're gonna say it.
1: Well, the the most bothersome thing to me was the the beach scene, and, yes, and that's just, what I just yeah. just everything about that. Like like a, I have like a, a a problem just in the the why I don't like seeing people do stupid things on screen that just are like obviously stupid. So what what happens on the beach is like a, a dog you know the this couple is on the beach with their 18-month old baby and their dog and it's not a beach it's like it's the ocean and it's like giant waves crashing on the rocks and so they let their dog go out and swim in the ocean and predictably enough the dog swims out to sea which is bad enough they their dog is dead uh but then the woman runs in after the dog and she of course gets swept out to sea and then the man runs in after her and he gets swept out to sea and like somebody goes to save him, drags him back, and then he runs out again, and so they all end up dying, leaving eighteen-month-old boy sitting on the beach with nobody around except Scarlett Johansson.
0: Uh,
1: that yeah. that really bugged me, and you know, it's uh, I'm you know it as as you. I've been a, a, a parent, I'm I'm more sensitive to like horrible things happening to babies. I think it's just like like an innate. Thing like it really bothers me now, and right. and like when they cut back later to the shot of this this I poor this little baby love just it. on the I beach with no humans around, just left there, just crying, the snot running down his face. That's that was really upsetting for me. Like I, 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 I really don't like that I love
0: at that. all. It's great. <laughs> there's, there's this guy on a, on, a, on a motorcycle who's following Scarlett Johansson. He's very mysterious, and it's not not quite you know explained what his relationship was with her but um he goes back to the beach and you see him walking towards this this kid the 18 month year old who's just like you know wh- wh- screaming his head off terrified because no one's there for him and and you think the guy it's framed so you think the motorcycle man is going to pick up the kid but he ends up picking up something i forget what it is like her jacket or something that's in front of the baby and then turning around and walk it over. that's great that's so I fucked it was up. Wonderful. I was more concerned for the dog, to be quite honest with you. Uh, that 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 got me more. But well, um, let this
1: if 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 under the skin accomplishes nothing else, it, it, I hope it serves as a warning to people to not let their dog go swimming in the ocean.
0: And also, don't rape aliens, because um, that's just not going to end up, end well.
1: Well, <laughs> well, yeah. But really, <laughs> d- don't rape anyone—alien, human. Well, the- <laughs> dog. Hey, I'm. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a, a general rule good point. of life.
0: Good point. Good point. That's that's a very good point.
1: <laughs> well, on, on that note, I think we've uh, we've talked about under the skin enough. I I mean, I th- I think it's those are those are PSA. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a, a movie worth seeing. It's a movie I'm, I'm glad I saw. It. It's it's a good movie. But I, I don't. I will never want to watch it again.
0: I really want to see it again. I, I want, yeah. and and I, and people should, if they can, they should see this in a movie theater. Uh, yeah. Because this is not going to translate uh, on video
1: yeah and it, it's 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 really cool getting like the the what the fuck vibe from the other people in the audience like i I don't know if you can like tell what wavelength an audience is when you're sitting in an auditorium but i I really enjoyed seeing the people just flabbergasted by what they were what they were watching
0: yeah um there weren't that many people at my screening uh for it um, unfortunately the two i there was a woman in front of me a few seats to the left. Thankfully I couldn't hear her, but she turned to her, um, date constantly throughout the Like literally for like two hours it was like, it was like, she had a comment for every second of the movie. It was amazing. I mean, I'm so glad I didn't hear her, but out of the corner of my eye, I could see her turning to him. And, uh, that was very distracting, but,
1: um, yeah. well, what yeah. was, well, well, you didn't know what, you don't know what she was saying.
0: I couldn't hear, no, that was, that was the the nice thing. I would have moved if I, if, you know, if, um, I was hearing her talk, but, uh, no, I just saw her constantly whispering in his ear and I'm like, how can you possibly have something to say for the full two hours of this movie? I mean, (laughs) I just don't get people. It's really weird. Um, oh, and then, and (laughs) the scene, uh, so the, the Guild 45th theater, I mean, Guild 45th, the Harvard exit theater where, um, I saw this, uh, it has a balcony and, um, uh, there was two guys that came in, I was on the main floor, but two guys came in, um, about 10 minutes into the movie, um, during the, the scene where naked Scarlett Johansson is stripping other Scarlett Johansson in a white room. And it's just like naked Scarlett Johansson time. Um, but they walk in and like I don't know if they thought the previews were still going on or whatever. But they were like they are just having a conversation. They're like, yeah, so I'm thinking about playing rugby on Tuesday. <laughs> and then like and then they sit down and then they like pull out their like you know bag of M Ms or whatever. And I'm like, and the scene is totally quiet. Like there's no music or anything. It's just like you know. <laughs> it's just was, boobs. It's just, it's just boobs, and it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> Get well, yeah,
1: Capitol Hill, Harvard exit.
0: It was weird. It, it was it was very strange. But anyway, um, but anyway, go see this in the in theater, despite the fact that somebody may be talking um, to their partner the whole time. But yeah, it's
1: it's still playing a couple places in Seattle. It's still at the Harvard exit, I believe, and also at the uh, the Metro, the Sundance yep. Cinema. So yep, go check it out, Seattleites. Uh, so with, with that, let's listen to uh, some music. Uh, we started the show with, uh, with Sound and Vision from David Bowie, uh, a very appropriate song for Under the Skin. Now we're going to listen to a song that's more appropriate for Only Lovers Left Alive, which we'll be talking about after the break. Here is Panic in Detroit.
0: welcome back to the show. Uh, As we said at the beginning, Sean and I are going to be covering uh, the Seattle International Film Festival this year. Um, Our next two episodes actually um, are going to be dedicated to this festival, Um, mostly because the Seattle International Film Festival, for those that aren't aware of it, um, it's the biggest. And when I say biggest, I mean like the longest with the most movies, (laughs) um, like any film festival around. Um, So there's a lot of stuff. Coming, um, a lot of stuff to wade through, and uh, Sean and I, you know, we went to the press kickoff uh, in the middle of the week, which was a very surreal experience. Um, if I must, if I must say so, Sean was yeah. wearing a suit, um, was. which was the most surreal part of it. I was wearing a Groucho Marx T-shirt, so that kind of shows you uh, the dichotomy <laughs> that you get with the George Sanders show. <laughs> but um, you know, there were a lot of people and we didn't know any of them. Uh, we, we ate the free food, drank the free orange juice, and then they made us watch a bunch of trailers for movies we don't want to watch. But, um, but it's nice of them to invite us and have us there. I think it's really cool. Um, and... This is the 40th year of the Seattle Inter- International Film Festival, and and there is, is going to be some really cool stuff. And and so I think we should just talk about a few of the things we're looking forward to coming up um, with this, and stuff that we will probably talk about if we can squeeze it in um, on these upcoming shows. So, um,
1: well, you know, it's actually the 39th year, but they're calling it the 40th.
0: Is it really? Yeah, investigative bec- journalism. Because. Right here. Uh, was there a strike in 94?
1: They skipped the 13th year because they decided not to have the unlucky number.
0: Are you fucking kidding me?
1: I wish I was.
0: I'm protesting. I'm not yeah. going to any of these movies. <laughs> what?
1: Yeah, I learned that, that from uh, uh, Sean Axemaker's SIF uh, preview on his, uh, on his website, uh, Parallax View. He's uh, a is... local film critic. And yeah, he, he let that... Uh, particular cat out of the bag. Um,
0: (laughs) You should put that cat bag in the bag and drown it in the river. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um there was a house when I lived so I lived in the suburbs um for most of my youth. And there was a house on a street, I don't remember the name of the street, but it was six six six. And I and whenever I was on the bus, I'd pass the house that was six 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 and be like, yeah, when I get older I'm gonna move into the six 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 apartment, you know? Um and then like a couple years later they they changed the street address. Like somebody like petitioned or talked to the city and it was like suddenly 668 or something. And I was so mad, so mad.
1: I I had some friends (laughs) in college who lived in, uh, who went to Western and they lived in Bellingham where where Western Washington University is. And they lived on 420 High Street. (laughs) And they were very, they were very proud of that. Uh, Oh, well. All right, so, friendly-
0: <laughs>
1: back to, <laughs> so, anyways, so back anyway. to the festival. So uh, back to the
2: festival.
1: Yeah, we, have, uh, we went through the schedule, and the festival, I think, is like 25 days long with like 500 movies or something, and so we went through and kind of picked out the ones that we were most interested in, and I don't know how many of them we're actually going to get to see. It's just kind of our like, master list of what we're going to, to try to make it to. And so which, which among these are you most looking forward to?
0: Uh, let's see if I had to pick three that I'm most excited about, I would probably go, um, I'm really looking forward to Boyhood, the new Richard Linklater film, um, which unfortunately there was a press screening of that a couple of days ago that well, it's actually, good it's getting. actually
1: this coming week.
0: <laughs> oh, it's this week. Excuse yeah. me. Oh, well, I'm out of town this week. I'm in California. So yeah. I can't can't go to it. Um, but I, I am really looking forward to that. I think it's a really interesting idea, and um, I've been you know, watching a lot more Linklater films because I hadn't seen many, um, and I, I think he's pretty interesting. Um, so to that, I'm looking forward to ar uh, soon He, the uh, Hong Sang-Soo film, which I believe you saw at uh, Vancouver. Yeah, I, Is saw, that correct?
1: I saw both ar uh, soon He and uh, Chiming Leong's Stray Dogs in Vancouver, and I'm really excited that they're they're playing here, so I can try to make you watch them. So...
0: Well, it's not a matter of you making me watch them. I'm I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>
1: I'm it's looking. To... I'm looking forward to you looking forward to it.
0: There we go. <laughs> uh, and then if I my third pick, I would probably say, you know, being a former punk rocker myself, uh, Lucas Moodyson's "We Are," Best, which I've heard some decent things about. Uh, it's about you know three. And girls that start a punk rock band, and you know, if if it's even like half as good as Linda, 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 um, I'll probably be satisfied because that's like you know catnip for me. So, I those ones are, are are ones I'm pretty excited about. What about you, Sean? If you had to pick three from the upcoming festival,
1: well, I actually saw a trailer for We Are the Best the other day when I was uh, at at Only Lovers Left Alive, and uh, my anticipation of that film uh, dropped.
0: <laughs> oh no! Really?
1: Yeah. So I I don't know.
0: Uh, well, I, yeah, I haven't seen it. I mean, I, yeah. I think I saw a festival right up from like the dissolve or something, and and they said it was cute or whatever. But yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I trailers. I, I don't like trailers.
0: I know. Okay, can we can we pause for a second? When I went to Only Lovers Left Alive, you know, it was they just ran trailers. It was at the multiplex um, for all the upcoming you know summer blockbustery things, and it's amazing the template for these movies is so, I don't want to say perfected because it's, it's ridiculously annoying because they just, you know, just swap things out. But all of these like elements have become so cliche in these trailers. I don't know how anybody can get excited about anything anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah. these, I don't know. I, I, it's just crazy. Anyway. Yeah. I, I try my
1: best not to watch trailers. Uh, so like, like I said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to Arsony and, and, and stray dogs. Um, I don't know if I'm going to watch them again. I'd like to see R. Ar- R. Sunhi again. I don't. I don't know about Stray Dogs. I already wrote about that one, but uh, I haven't written about the Hong Sang-soo film yet. Uh, uh, Boyhood, also. Um, but here's here's the thing with 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 film festivals and and a movie like Boyhood, like that that movie is going to come out in July and it's going to play in theaters. So it seems like like counterproductive to me when you when you're going to a film festival to to make time to go see Boyhood and. You know, we're we're in a different uh, you know position with that now because I can like go to the press screening next week and watch it, but we we can't actually it's like embargoed. We can't actually review it until it comes out. So I I don't know I don't know if uh, if it's. Really I agree. Worth it. I mean
0: I understand. I mean I'm just I'm just you know giving you down the line of the ones you know if if all things can cons- you know just as movies. Sure. Boyhood looks pretty sweet you know but um i know what you mean i th- like there are other movies that are a little more or a lot more obscure that are on this list um you know link later is probably the most famous director besides polanski i think that's got a film um opening
1: um, yeah uh yeah
0: well there's how to train your dragon too well <laughs> There you go. I mean,
1: there are like big like art house names like like uh you know Hong and and, and Chai and, and uh there's a new uh Sylvain Chaumet film, uh Lucas Moodyson, as you said. Uh there's the new uh Kelly Reichert film, which I'm really interested in because I really loved Meeks Cutoff and you are not because you really did not like
0: Meek's Cutoff uh i i want to i want to like kelly reichert i really do yeah. i've seen all three of her films um and i i but unfortunately i think they get you know progressively worse but yeah there's a
1: <laughs> there's a philippe gorel Yoshi yamada there's the michelle gondry movie
0: uh I, I i don't know if that i don't know that that one i mean i'm just going off of the festival synopsis right and that sounds like that one might be too precious for uh yeah for life but, um, but you know
1: <laughs> but as, as as always i'm 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 most drawn to like the 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 chinese films so i i want to see i really want to see rigor mortis which is uh is like a that, don't, a that
0: sounds interesting
1: like a vampire comedy along the lines of like mr vampire or encounters of the spooky kind i think uh there's a uh, firestorm which sounds a lot like johnny toe's lifeline which is really awesome uh, and then there's the uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Shanghai, which uh, I want to see all of the movies that start with Once Upon a Time. Just for, for weird, you know, collectible, that's your, that's collectible reasons. Yeah, I want to see all the Once <laughs> Upon a Time movies. I, I don't know I, why. I can't explain it. Most sure. of them probably aren't very good. Uh, and then uh, uh, Black Coal, Thin Ice, which I believe won the Berlin Film Festival won like the top prize there, beating out Boyhood uh, controversially uh, as a Chinese film and also uh, Fruit Chan's The Midnight After, which sounds really good. Fruit Chan is is one of the kind of Wong Kar Wai generation of Hong Kong filmmakers that I actually haven't seen any of of his uh, films yet, but I've had like uh, Made in Hong Kong sitting around waiting for me to watch for a couple of years now and I really should watch it. So you really should. yeah, those those are the ones I'm kind of looking forward to, and also uh, there's uh, a number of kind of archival presentations that that SIF is doing. That uh, some of them look really really neat. That uh, I assume aren't going to be press screened. Like you know, Alain Renee's Rene's last year, Marion Bad or Nicholas Ray's The Lusty Men. Uh, yeah, the one I'm I'm most looking forward to, and I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to it because we're like moving two days after it plays and I'll probably have to like pack up my house. But it's uh, uh, Donald Soson, the, uh, the pianist, is, is accompanying uh, a couple of, of silent uh, programs. One is a collection of Charlie Chaplin shorts and the other is a, a Chinese film called Song of the Fisherman which I would be really interested in seeing because I haven't seen any Chinese silence, I don't think. So that would be something I'd really want to, to try and make it out to see.
0: Well, and of course, Rocky Horror, which I know you you go every, every chance you get. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, the archival... Does look really cool. Um, I, I would love to see the lusty men. Um, I can't believe I just said that phrase. Um, and the Chaplin shorts sound great. Yeah. It's, it all sounds great. I mean, chances are with all the films that we're going to try and get to, I probably won't be able to see any of those. Um, <laughs> if I'm being quite honest with myself, um, cause that uh, you and I put it, you and I put together a list and, um, the films that you and I both want to see collectively. Um, it's, it's like 15, 16 films. Um, and that's, that's a lot to get to, especially considering uh, um, I'm losing a week because I'm going to be gone and you're going to be moving. So we'll see what happens. But Yeah, we, we do, we do have like about- six
1: weeks to, to get through these. And, you know, I imagine some of them we're not going to be able to see because there won't be these screeners or we can't make the press screenings. So
0: Right. Well, I think it's pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, I hope it makes for good po- podcasting so that we can do it, you know, down the line. We'll see. So anyway, that's a long list of films we hope to be watching um, somewhere down the line. But let's talk about films that we have been watching. Um, I'm really excited. I have no idea what we're about to talk about, Sean. But uh, it's time for our segment, What's Sean Watching? So, Sean, what you watching?
1: Uh, I've been watching a lot of things. But the one we're going to talk about is Only Lovers Left Alive, which... Was I? I think it was the my most anticipated film of 2013. Like it was the movie I wanted to watch more than anything else that came out last year. I think you're probably in the same boat. And it it finally opened up here in in Seattle. It's playing at the Guild 45th, and uh, I I went out and watched it, and I I I really liked it. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know yet if it. If I liked it more than than the Ultima Pollicula, which is my number one film of 2013, but it's. Uh, it's. It will definitely be up there on my 2013 list.
0: Snipping at the heels, at least.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's, yeah. it's in the conversation.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. Only lovers left alive. Um, ever since it was announced, was number one with a bullet for me as, as most anticipated, I was foaming at the mouth to see it. And um,
1: a Jim Jarmusch I, movie with Tilda Swinton, where she's a vampire. I mean,
0: that's... Yeah. how could this, how has this not been made already? You know, yeah. you ask yourself when, when uh, you hear about it and uh, yeah, I, I'm sad to say that I was not as bowled over with it as I was hoping to be. And, you know, Part of that may have been me. I may have been anticipating it too much. Um, I do want to, re, you know, rewatch it, and I, I think it's really good. Don't get me wrong; I think um, everybody should should go see it. I think it's one of the better films that is currently out there. Um, but for me, I feel like a lot of the themes that Jarmusch is is wrestling with in this film, um, and preoccupations, and and what have you, I think he's done better. Um, it in in his previous film, the much maligned The Limits of Control, <laughs> which I am a huge partisan uh, for, but, uh, but this movie's great. I mean, it is, it is really good. It's really solid. Um,
1: yeah, I think I, I, I really like The Limits of Control also. I've only seen it once, uh, and it was, was when it played in the theater, and, and my wife really hated it. And so I, I got the, the cold shoulder on the drive home
0: <laughs> i love I love the stories of you taking your wife to a movie that she absolutely hates it uh, it, happens, uh, it, it, it happens it
1: happens a lot
0: i mean it it's a testament to her love for you that she still that she sticks around after you've subjected to so many um terrible movies in her opinion
1: yeah or or <laughs> at least you know over over the years she's learned to like disassociate herself from the movie theater and just like think about something else while the movie is on <laughs> that she doesn't like. Uh, she's right. developed like a survival mechanism to, to get her through all of these, these awful dates.
0: She's, she's a saint.
1: Anyway, I, I really, I really need to see the limits of control again, but I think, I, I suspect that the thing that, that bugs you about only lovers left alive is what makes me like it more than limits of control and, and vice versa. that be Sean. Well, I think, uh. The limits of control seems much more controlled uh much yes. much more kind of trapped within its its genre setting like it it's like a, a hitman movie where uh the guy is on a quest and he's got to do these things, and it's very schematic it's it's laid out in these conversations over coffee that all. Kind of happen one after the other after the other, and it it kind of slowly builds out this like hitman story, if I'm remembering correctly. And there's music and there's cool architecture and there's talk about art and all of those you know great Jim Jarmish things. But really, it's this very, very structured, very, very controlled scenario. Whereas only lovers Left Alive is basically it's four episodes in the life of these vampires and mostly it consists of them hanging out like in the first section they're hanging out separately the second they're hanging out together in the third uh, a family member drops by and they all hang out and then the fourth they go somewhere else and they're hungry <laughs> and that's yeah. and that's the movie like it it's it's got this 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 vibe that is much similar more similar to uh like Stranger Than Paradise or or Mystery Train, then then your your later more more genre focused Jarmish films like like Limits of Control or or Ghost Dog or uh, Dead Man. And uh, and I like that. Like Stranger Than Paradise is my is my favorite of his films, even even ahead of Dead Man, which we talked about last year on the show. But episode two. Episode two. But uh, yeah, I like I like that aspect of of this film.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, that's not what I dislike about it. Um, okay. I, what I dislike about this, and I don't even want to say dislike, really, but I, I feel like the elements. So, and I don't want to just compare this to Limits of Control, but it's really, really hard for me not to. Um, my problem with this movie is the the shoehorning in of, of these kind of dissertations on art and, and science and all of the, all the things that, you know, Jarmusch, you know, he named a lot of, you know, stuff like, um, you know, these kind of cultural signifiers or whatever. Um, And in limits of control, it serves the larger purpose of the movie. um, And here it feels a little more forced and, and less, um, I don't know. It was a little more ob- obvious right. here. Um, like there's, there's a wall and this is because, um, this is how hip I am. <laughs> uh, when I lived in Olympia is your first tip off of how hip I am. Um, I lived and we had a wall in our living room where my friend Adam and I went to Kinko's and we photocopied 25 photos of, uh, of, artists and, and and people that we thought were really, really cool. Um, like the RZA and, um, Bob Dylan and stuff. And we put them up, we pasted them all on this wall, uh, like a, a wall of fame or whatever in, um, in our house. And it was this really cool thing. Um, and the same up in this movie, which is really cool. It's nice to see. But when, when Jim Jarmusch is doing things that I was doing when I was 20 and I am really kind of lame, uh, it reads a little lame to me.
1: <laughs> you see, I, I don't. So. I don't think it's like. Uh, I don't think it's that kind of thing is, is shoehorned in. Like it is. It is really obvious, but I don't think it's like name dropping. I think it's. It is the subject. They drive
0: that, by Jack White's house and they say, "Hey, here's where Jack White was born." Yeah. Oh, and, I love Jack White.
1: And I think I think that's because that, that is the subject of the film. Like, it's, it's yeah. not a vampire story filled with, like, a bunch of hipster name-dropping. It is it is about... It, it's about culture, and it's about the things that we value in culture and, and the way that we value them. And the, the movie is built out of these... Uh, these oppositions between the two vampires, uh, uh, Tilda Swinton and, and Tom Huddleston. And, and some of them are, are really obvious. Most of them are really obvious, like, like he always wears black and she always wears white. I mean, their names are Adam and Eve. Uh, he, uh, she has like a brand new iPhone. He has like cobbled together, uh, you know, an old telephone and a TV to make like a video phone. Uh, he's really depressed all the time. She's really happy. She reads a lot in, in all kinds of languages, and she's friends with Christopher Marlowe, who is, uh, you know, a vampire, because Christopher Marlowe is a vampire, and he's a musician, and his music doesn't have any words in it. So, I mean, it's—the the, the two of them together are like, you know, the artistic soul of humanity— And of course they're going to sit around and talk about art because that is, that is what they do. I mean, that's what they are.
0: I know, but for me, the, so the the problem for me is, is these like winking, like Christopher Marlowe writing Shakespeare stuff um, feels more obvious to me um, than the stuff that happens in limits of control where, there's, it's the same thing. It's the same. I mean, it, the movies are, are dealing with the exact same kind of stuff, but in that movie, since it is more of a height, um, reality and, and it, it, it's, it's a little more, um, I don't know. I don't want to say psychedelic, but like hallucinatory or whatever, these kind of, um, just discursions on art or whatever, um, have a more hypnotic quality to them and, and they're kind of more intoxicating than they are in here where it's like you know oh I saw her put uh, a copy of Infinite Jest in her suitcase um I know I maybe it's just the fact that I was more familiar with all the cultural signifiers they're using in Only Lovers Live which made me a little more specious of the whole thing um and I, you know I'm not didn't yeah, well I th-
1: I think you're right that, that limits of control is is a much more hypnotic film. It's it's much more abstract and and it's, you know, it's it's harder to follow. Uh Only Lovers Left Alive is is much more conventional in in its rhythms and and the the jokes are are much more obvious.
0: Uh, I do and I always forget this about Jim Jarmusch or it, it doesn't come to mind right away, but Jim Darmoosh movies are really like like I really like his sense of humor and, and even in something like limits of control, which is if if you think back on it, it doesn't seem like it's very funny. Um, but there are some really funny moments in that movie and, and there's some great stuff in here, mostly, um, Tilda Swinton, who is just yeah. absolutely perfect. I mean, she is just fantastic in this movie. I mean, like we said, like you said at the beginning, it's the role she was to play. And, uh, she she you know she does a wonderful job with it and the two of them too uh, her and tom hiddleston together um are are a wonderful couple they they just really bounce off each other really really well
1: yeah they're they're great and which is unusual cuz he he seems like he's much younger than her but you wouldn't know it when they're together on screen they're just they're fantastic i i really like tom hiddleston i i like him in like the the marvel movies he's okay uh, I really liked him in in the Deep Blue Sea, with with Rachel Weisz, the Terrence Davies film from a couple of years ago, and then in, in in this one too, he's he's fantastic.
0: Yeah, he's very he's very very good. Um, and this is another this is another thing where um, kind of like under the skin, I you know those two playing these these roles um, are so perfect that I can't think of anybody else really doing it as you know as well um,
1: and mia wasakasa um as well as the uh the the sister that shows up and and uh is just a disaster I, I she's horrible she was, she was pretty great
0: i i and see this is the thing that i like the things i like about this movie are i love the um how the vampire the two of them are you know the kind of older hipsters you know like they don't want to go to the show you know they don't want to go out um they don't want house guests you know they're kind of you know they're kind of domesticated a little bit you know um that stuff's really great um the the use of Detroit you know Jarmusch is really good at at picking interesting locales for his movies and 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 showing them off in a way that you've really seen them before um and he does that fantastically with uh, Detroit, which is, you know, the whole movie's at night because obviously they're vampires. So we only get these nighttime shots of these um, abandoned buildings, boarded up houses and stuff. And it looks like another world. I mean, it doesn't look like... America in the 21st century, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, it, it makes a really interesting, uh, contrast with, with Tangier, which is where, where she lives. And it's, it's really creepy. Uh, these scenes of them driving through like the downtowns of these cities, because there's no people around and, yeah. and cities, especially like the downtown core of cities where if you're there in the daytime, there's thousands of people walking around cities are really creepy at night when the streets are empty and, uh, no, it's it's great for a vampire movie.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really really great. Um, so yeah, like like I said, I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sell this movie short. You know, I just I just feel that um, I I feel like the limits of control is a more personal expression from Jarmusch, and I and I feel like he. Um, I think he nails some of the themes a little bit better. Um, I think he sticks the landing a little bit better. I I love the ending of this movie. Don't don't get me wrong. I love the ending of this movie, but for me, the end of the limits of control, especially since it is so repetitious um, beforehand, um, and as Brian Eno always said, repetition is a form of change. And I think that that movie signifies that um, perfectly. But that movie, there's more of a transcendent joy for me at the end of that thing um, than this one, which is, which is great. But it's, it's kind of cutesy.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: I, I, I guess I, I, like, I like cute Jarmish.
0: He's a cute guy, hmm. you know. He's got those sideburns and stuff. So um, it, go check it out. It, it's very good.
1: Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, Jim Jarmusch made his first movie in like 1979, 1980, which means that he's been making movies for almost 35 years now.
0: Did you know that uh, when he was in film school, one of his teachers was Nicholas Ray?
1: Yes. I did know that. That's
0: awesome. That's (laughs) awesome.
1: Yes. And I mean, it just goes to show like how long he's been around. Like 35 years is like the length of Howard Hawks' career. Like Jim Jarmusch has been making movies forever and he is still, you know, as hip a filmmaker as there is.
0: Well, I love, I love that these last two is uh, he's moved into his like um, old man, like curmudgeonly, like you know what's wrong with kids today kind of <laughs> Jim Jarmusch. Like I, I find that really adorable. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, then enough, enough about Jim Jarmusch. Let's talk about, uh, another soon to be curmudgeon, Scarlett Johansson.
0: Sure. So just around the corner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She's, she's Uh, also been making movies for a really long time. Are you, are you a fan of any of them?
0: I am a fan of, of, of many. Well, this is the thing. This is my, my personal journey with Scarlett Johansson. Um, When I first took notice of Scarlett Johansson in the early 2000s, she was in three movies in a row that I really, really liked, at least at the time, two of which I haven't uh, revisited um, since that time. Um, But she was in, uh, as as most everybody knows by now, she was in Lost in Translation, uh, Ghost World, and The Coen Brothers' Man Who Wasn't There. And... um, excepting The Man Who Wasn't There, which I have rewatched in the last year and I still think is an absolute masterpiece. Um, I haven't seen those uh, those other two since that time. But I was like, who is this, who is this woman who's in all these awesome movies? She seems super cool. Um, and so I kind of tried to keep an eye on what she was doing so that I could, you know. But then she made a bunch of stuff that I didn't care about, many of them with girl in the title. There was, like, the girl with the pearl earring and... Uh, what was the, the old other Bolin girl and stuff like that. And, and I was just, you know, I, she was completely off my radar, um, for a long stretch of the mid two thousands, um, the nanny diaries and what have you. But anyway, so I thought she was really cool. Then she started to make these movies that, you know, having not seen them, I kind of made a judgment call and said, Oh, these are pretty stupid. So then I kind of wrote her off, but now she's kind of come back to kind of surprising me. Um, with under the skin and her, which I think are really interesting as a pair um, in terms of how she's using her sex pot persona, because I was, I was thinking about it after under the skin. I was thinking of like, you know, the teenage perverts or whatever that are going to try and check out under the skin because it's got naked Scarlett Johansson in it. But then they're going to have to watch this crazy, like (laughs) trippy psychedelic horror film. Um, and, and then conversely, like I think her role in her, she's kind of at her sexiest, but you don't see her at all. And I think that's really interesting. I think that's, I think that's kind of cool of her. So, um, yeah, it's Scarlett Johansson, you
1: know? Yeah, that, that actually reminds me of a story, which I don't, I'm sure I've told you this before, but I don't think I've said it on the show, which is uh, the story of how Bob and Harvey Weinstein became interested in, in art films, in, in foreign films, is that uh, when they were kids, they went to see uh, the movie The 400 Blows, because they thought it was a porn movie, <laughs> and they stayed there, and they and they watched it, and they and they really loved it. And so they did just got really into like French films and and art films. And that's where, where Miramax came from.
0: I think of, uh, of Nelson Muntz coming out of a screening of naked lunch uh, on the Simpsons and saying, I can think of two things wrong with that title. (laughs) That's great.
1: All right. Well, what you, what you didn't mention was her, uh, were her Woody Allen movies, which is a really interesting uh, collaboration between the two of them. And, you know i ha- i haven't seen scoop have you seen scoop
0: i haven't seen scoop uh either no i have not i i i hear it's pretty bad but um, you know
1: i've heard i've heard i've heard that it's really bad i've also heard some good things about it so i i really i, I don't know well that
0: kind of that kind of you know is what happens with Woody movies? There's either like a lot of people say it's bad, but then there's a small contingent that say, "Hey, no, it's actually really good." And then, or vice versa, or whatever. Um,
1: yeah, of of those those three that you mentioned that, that first caught your eye, uh, I like The Man Who Wasn't There. That's another one that I really oh. need to watch again. Uh, Ghost World and Lost in Translation, though, I just I didn't like at all. Well, I hey, like I like to be fair, I liked her in them, but but those right. are not movies that, that I cared for.
0: Well, that's why I kind of added that caveat is I have a feeling that I will on rewatch. If I do see them, um, again, um, I, you know, I really like the source material for ghost world. And, um, but I think the movie version will just anger me now. Lost in translation is one of those movies that, you know, as you think back on it, as the years go, you're like you start to nitpick it and stuff. But, um,
1: yeah, like, and then, yeah. and then, in like that, that mid mid two thousands area, she was in some more movies that I did not like, like uh, uh, Brian De Palma's The Black Dahlia, which I think I just I think I just didn't get Brian De Palma because I don't I don't know I I'm still working on on De Palma, but I hated that movie <laughs> at the time, and also uh, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige.
0: I hate that movie. Yeah, did
1: not like that movie. But uh, but her her performances in in Match Point, I thought she was really great in that as you know just this this bundle of of sex appeal that that destroys you know poor helpless man, and uh, in in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, uh, I thought she was pretty good in in one of my I, my favorites of 21st century Woody Allen movies.
0: I the problem with her in vicky christina is she is obviously the weakest link uh in that uh you know love triangle there i mean i'm, yeah. I'm sorry I, I you know i just I like that movie and and you know, match point I, I only saw match point once and i didn't care for it and uh but she's okay in it you know i uh, what i you know
1: yeah, I mean, and I I like her in the in the Marvel movies. I mean, she's fine. There's not really a lot that anyone can do with those. And then, and then. I think with... she
0: actually does a pretty good job in the Avengers. The only one I've seen is the Avengers, but I think she does a really decent job in a you know.
1: It, it's a difficult. Big, it's yeah. a difficult part. It's... But under the, yeah. under the skin, like like we were saying, she's fantastic, and I th- you know I think we talked about her her performance in her when we talked about her. <laughs> and while while I think she's really good and she's, you know, her her voice is fantastic and she uses it really well. I I I do think that it kind of is is counterproductive to the movie to have such a recognizable voice playing that character.
0: I didn't. I we yeah we did talk about that and I. I know what you're saying. I didn't have the same problem that you did with it. Um, I wasn't as good by her it being Scarlett Johansson as you were. Um, but but I don't think that's her fault. You know, he does a really good job, and you know, I, I, you know that's yeah. out, clearly Spike on Spike Jones to have chosen her um, for that. But um, yeah, so, yeah, so so like anyway, look,
1: I, looking I, over I, her her filmography, what what I see is like an actress that I like like I, I like you know the the fact that she's in a movie is a reason to go see it for me because i i think she's a good actress i think she's very talented but she's in very few movies that i actually like
0: yeah um and i, I don't, I don't that, know
1: why I, that is
0: but i that's why i kind of have hope now is that you know i didn't love her as 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 we all know i thought it was, thought it was you know oh, fine um but i i hope that she you know much to you know do these kinds of things i mean obviously i think you know looking at, now looking deep her imdb page um you know half of the that she's got coming down the pipeline are further marvel movies so you know it's it's hard to get excited but hopefully she she does you know more films like her and under the skin um going forward um because i think that you know i think that she she's decent in those things yep <laughs> Um, So with that, uh, let's move on to our next topic, um, tying in with our themes of the show today. Uh, Doppelgangers, as as both uh, Under the Skin and Starman have aliens taking the form of of somebody else, maximating a human. Um, So there are a lot of good doppelganger movies. Uh, You know, Vertigo, clearly... um, it comes to mind and stuff, but is, is there one that uh, you think is in particular really good in terms of There's Sean?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm not going to pick Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, just for your sake. I was
0: really gonna. I was gonna do it. You, you totally guessed it before yeah. we started. To pick something else, you jerk. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm. I'm. I'm gonna pick uh, uh, Jacques Tati's Playtime, in which. Uh, uh, uh Jacques Tati was a uh, you know French uh, director and star he made these comedies where he he usually played this uh, character uh named Monsieur Hulot uh, he has a very distinctive appearance he's got a hat and a pipe and, and this long uh, uh beige trench coat that he wears and he's always uh finding himself in in unfortunate situations with like really kind of elaborate slapsticky uh uh, comedy constructs that are built in as he uh, fails to interact with his environments. It's, it's very uh, Keaton-esque, very much in the like the Charlie Chaplin silent comedy tradition, although with also a lot of uh, goofy sound effects. And anyway, Playtime is his third Hulot film, and it's, it's uh, one of the greatest film comedies of all time. And one of the, the really neat things about it, he built this massive set on the outskirts of Paris and he he shot it in 70 millimeter, so there's these big widescreen compositions, and you see all kinds of stuff going on in different parts of the frame. And one of the things you see are lots of different hulos. It's not just Tati. There's other random guys that that look like him that have the same kind of huloesque esque antics getting involved, um, happening to them, and and getting involved. So. It's the the Hulo character kind of doubled into infinity as we all become Hulos.
0: That's cool. I play playtime is one I need to get around. I've only seen one Jacques T film and I didn't really care for it that much. I saw um, Hulo's Holiday. Mm. Um, it was it was okay. I I, I think it had been really built up um, because obviously. A lot of people love them i I was underwhelmed, so i I do need to see playtime. I need to see traffic, um, and I will get around to one of the, you know one of those sooner than yeah later. Uh,
1: but, uh, uh, give Who uh, hulot's holiday another try again sometime I think it 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 plays better the second time through when you kind of know what to expect because they're very odd movies at first like you're you're very kind of off put like there's there's very little dialogue. There's almost no plot. The the Hilo character himself is 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 very unusual, but uh, once you kind of get, they have a very specific rhythm, and once you kind of get on his wavelength, there's he's incomparable.
0: I I I don't doubt that, except I kind of doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. Uh, my pick is. Uh, it's a very interesting use of a doppelganger, and I, um, it kind of ties into a Vertigo-esque sort of version of it, um, and it's it's David Lynch's Lost Highway. Um, uh, that's great, pick. which is uh, a really interesting Lynchian version of like a noir. Um, that I have, have loved ever since I first saw it. I think Mall and Drive is better and there's doppelgangers in that too. But um, when I think of the Lynchian kind of version of, of kind of not just the characters in the movie in terms of who the audience too, because it, it's not really very explicit. Um, but basically Bill Pullman plays a jazz saxophonist um, who's framed for the murder of his wife um, and uh, life is played by Patricia Arquette and then halfway through the movie suddenly like the whole movie changes um, and Bill Pullman is replaced by somebody else and he, uh, but Patricia Arquette reappears but not as who she was before um, and it's a very lynch nightmare scape that goes on in this film um, that leads to some really Christian um, and, and I think it's, I think it's a really strong film. And I, I, think, um, it was kind of the setting, setting the place for what became of and Drive, which uses similar themes. Um, I think a little stronger, but, um, it's great.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I agree. Lost, Lost Highway is, is fantastic. That's a great pick. Uh, Lost Highway is actually the, uh, the first David Lynch movie I liked.
0: <laughs> congratulations <laughs> I, I was I
1: was very anti-lynch but but that was the one that kind of uh opened opened him up to me and, and made me kind of uh get what he was what he what he was after it, it put me on on his wavelength and I was then able to kind of go back and and appreciate uh some of the other films I still need to rewatch Blue Velvet which uh I saw in when I was in college and and really dis disliked uh but but now that I am I'm more more of a uh, a lynch partisan, I, I should watch it again, and and hopefully I will like it more.
0: Yeah, um, have you seen his Dune?
1: I have.
0: <laughs> That's all I have to say. I actually haven't seen it. I want I want to see his Dune. I know it's supposed to be a complete boondoggle, but uh, I'm uh, I'm kind of into boondoggles, so.
1: Uh, my, 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 uh, my go-to anecdote about, about David Lynch's Dune is that uh, uh, a friend of mine, a, a former manager of mine, was running, a, uh, was projecting it when it played theatrically in, what, 1982, 83? Yeah. And uh, on the, the old projectors, they would switch from one projector to another halfway through the film. Like, there'd be, like, a cue, three reels in, and then it would switch over to the other projector. So you go like reel one, two, three, four, and then flip over to five, six, seven, eight. Uh, well this this time he was he was running it and, and the auditorium was packed and there was like a miscue and it, it it switched over one reel early. So only like reels one, two, three, and then cut out, you know, ten minutes of the movie or twenty minutes of the movie, twenty minute reels, uh, cut out twenty minutes of the movie and then skip to reel five. And so as the movie ended, he was like there, he had like his passes ready to give to people who come out and complain and say, we missed 20 minutes of the movie. What's going on here? What kind of operation are you running? And as the audience left, uh, nobody said anything to him. He was like standing there waiting, you know, for anyone to complain and nobody said anything. And in fact, he, what he overheard one of the audience people saying was, uh, you know, I heard that this movie was really confusing, but it made perfect sense to me. <laughs>
0: so you just need to cut out like uh
1: 20 minutes of the the yeah. film
0: <laughs> sure yeah okay there you go
1: so yeah that's that's david lynch's doing. it's got kyle mclaughlin in it speaking of, of people who've had really long careers kyle mclaughlin has been around for 35 years and he's still weird
0: he's awesome yeah he's really cool um well, t- well. Speaking of you know sci-fi movies from the early '80s, I think it's time that we uh, start a discussion of John Carpenter's *Starman*. Yes.
2: Please help me, please! I made that! I sent greetings. What the hell's going on here? I've been kidnapped! Greetings?
1: so the the plot of starman probably sounds a, a little familiar uh, an alien comes to earth befriends a lonely human they have some adventures they form a, a very special bond and then the alien has to return to his home world leaving the the human you know emotionally changed for the better uh yeah it, it's basically et except with grown ups
0: and without Reese's pieces
1: without Reese's pieces it does have uh, dutch apple pie though so it's got your dessert yes. covered. Uh, it's a very unusual film for for John Carpenter, who's at the time was most known as the the director of Halloween. He was he was in the midst of uh, a series of of kind of genre bending action movies with with Kurt Russell, uh, Escape from New York, The Thing, and Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, he's you know, he he had done The Fog, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. You know, all of these these horror movies and and action movies that are all really kind of uh, darkly comic and and kind of cynical. And and with with Starman, there's this film that that on the surface seems really sweet and and almost kind of uh, hippieish in its in its point of view and its kind of hopefulness for for humanity. I'm I'm wondering how that how that came across to you. Like does, do you think that that star is this kind of ET sentimentality, or do you think that there's like another layer to it that maybe there's, um, there's more subversion of, of the ET myth than, than celebration of it?
2: I think it's a
0: little bit of both. I mean, it, it does get, well, I, I wouldn't call it sentimental. Um, I think there's genuine heart here. I don't think that this is uh, necessarily like a cynical take on on the ET thing, or, or you know, whatever. like I, I feel like there's there's a genuine emotion here, um, uh, and I and I think Karen Allen and Jeff Bridges are integral to that. I think they really do sell the emotions, and well, I guess emotions in her, he's, we'll talk about in a minute <laughs> i i, I want to talk a lot of this here but um but yeah i feel like this but this also um it it you say you, you know can give hope for man or you know it gives hope at the end or whatever but i feel like um getting that you know mankind isn't shown in the best light um you know we get a lot of uh you know you get your hicks that don't understand and try and you know beat the you know bejesus out of Jeff Bridges. You get the government people that um, want to you know dissect him without even giving him a chance. They don't haven't even met him and they want to put him on an operating table and stuff. And um, they're they're know, very it's,
1: single-minded it's, in their obsession with with destroying him or, or or studying him. Like there's there's never even any any debate that they would do anything other than than capture him with as many guns as possible. I actually thought that that seemed like a kind of a weakness of the film.
0: Yeah. They're not really given a lot of, you know, opportunity to kind of flesh anything out like that. There is one scene with Charles Martin Smith where he's, you know, he's questioning them. You know, he, he plays a guy from SETI who, you know, goes to their, you know, you know, compound.
1: But that comes very late in the film.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's clearly, you know, trying to throw a bone at that or whatever. It's, it's not like he's, it's not, fleshed out. it's not um compared compared with
1: story. with something like uh close encounters of the third kind where you know the the governmental forces are are almost entirely benevolent you have like francois trafoe going around with his with his translator you know really excited trying to track down the alien and everyone wants to like you know work with the alien and try and communicate and you know serve the good of humanity like it, it's just charles martin smith here and everyone else wants to shoot him
0: Right. Um, yeah, so uh, I think it has both of those elements to it, but it also has, you know, um, a sense of wonder to it. And, and, you know, as an audience member, you, you know, you, you clearly, you know, identify and, and well, I don't know if you identify, but you, you know, um, you fall for Starman. I mean, at least I did.
1: I, I felt Did more for, I felt more for Karen Allen who I think is is fantastic in this movie like she she's I think she's remarkable. She's she's great of course in in Raiders of the Lost Ark but but that is is more of a, just like a straight Howard Hawksian woman role where she's just all, you know, cool and and hard ass and and sexy here she, you know, she the the movie opens with her getting drunk and watching home movies of her dead husband and she's she's so sad and she's so kind of broken and and just in, in interacting with this guy who is this alien who's taken the form of her husband which is horribly traumatic for her yet she you know gradually comes to like actually like him and she has so many opportunities to to get away from him and and escape and it's really believable every time she chooses to go back and the uh the, the ending of the film reminded me a lot of, of gravity, which came out last year. Like both movies end with, with the, the female protagonist uh, looking up. Like in, in gravity, Sandra Bullock has, has finally come to earth and she's like endured her ordeal. and through this like, you know, sci-fi movie scenario, she's come to terms with this trauma in her past. And, and we see her, like, stand up on the ground and the camera looks up at her in this very heroic pose. Uh, something similar goes on in, in, with Karen Allen's character where she has, you know, her own trauma and then, like, sci-fi plot intervenes and she overcomes it. But as the movie ends... She's looking up, but the camera is up above her, and it kind of slowly rises up as, like, you know, Jeff Bridges' spaceship goes up in, into space. And it, it seems even more heroic to me than than the Sandra Bullock pose.
0: I love the final shot of this movie. I yeah. absolutely adore it. And
1: it's helped immeasurably by, by the, the theme like this kind of uh, you know, re- recurring uh, like circular melody that comes through that's really triumphant, and it's very 1980s. And I like sat through, I let the whole credits roll just because... Uh...
2: <laughs> Me too! <laughs> yeah,
0: it's really good. The music's really, really good. I think uh, Jack Nietzsche was the, uh, the musical supervisor on this. Um...
1: Yeah, it's one of the few times Carpenter didn't compose his own score.
0: Yeah, well, this movie is interesting because, you know, the thing came before it and was a huge, hey, I can use the word boondoggle again. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, and so this was him trying to uh, redeem himself, try to give himself, you know, Hollywood, you know, uh, bona fides again to, like, uh, keep working, so to speak. You know, so I think there was a lot of, I think he relinquished a lot of the reins for this Um Although I still think this is a John Carpenter film, don't get me wrong. But um, you know, I, I think that he was more, you know, open to collaboration on this one than maybe in some other films of his.
1: Yeah, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't have a screenwriting credit on it, which which right. is unusual for him. Uh, it was produced by Michael Douglas, which is.
0: I think it was originally developed as a Michael Douglas thing. I, I, th- he, I think this sat on the shelf for a long time because because of ET. Well, Um,
1: Michael Douglas was is a very accomplished producer, and it kind of gets like overshadowed because you know he's such a a great movie star. But but he had he has a lot of production credits, and he's and he's uh, he's done some really interesting stuff. um, But uh, yeah, I mean, the this is a much more more conventional movie for for Carpenter. Like it it feels like a director trying to to recapture a mass audience after uh, you know, maybe more bizarre areas he had gone down with his last couple of films.
0: Kind of like only lovers left alive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, For me, a lot of this, you know, you mentioned Karen Allen and and I don't know if you're trying to avoid talking about Jeff Bridges, but he was nominated for an Oscar um, for his role in this film. And, I was. This is the first time I'd seen it. You'd seen it before, I believe, when you were younger. Um, Yeah,
1: I actually saw it in a theater when I was eight years old, and did not really get it.
0: Right, and then Uh, I'd
1: I'd seen it on video a few times after. Like my only memories of this movie really are of the colors of of the reds and the blues, and like the uh, you know the fact that they were like in a in a house and and a train. Like I, I really didn't know this movie very well. Uh. So I, I was really excited to see it again. It's, it's you know, I, a lot of the, the movies I saw as a kid, I, like, remember, you know, bits and pieces and, like, sensations. And, like, the sensation of watching it again was the same mm-hmm. as, as as my memory of it. Like, I, I remember, like, the feeling of watching Starman, if that makes sense.
0: And you still didn't get it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, um, I think Jeff Bridges kills it in this movie. Um, He sustains this awkwardness of of his character um, throughout this film in a really unique sort of way. Like, you know, we've seen people play aliens time and again, you know, and famously um, 1984 also saw the release of The Terminator, the first Terminator film with Schwarzenegger um both characters end up you know showing up naked um but I I really think that Jeff's performance here is is like the movie hinges on it and um I think he does a wonderful job and I was thinking about watching this movie and I was thinking of all the great Jeff Bridges performances you know what came to mind was True Grit where he's you know got that you know rooster cogburn you know going on and um it's so different from his role in this movie i th- i think i've underestimated jeff bridges i mean i like i've always liked jeff bridges but like
1: he's a, he's, a,
0: can,
1: he's one of the act. yeah he's he's one of the the great actors of you know our time uh he really is I, I i i like him a lot i think uh his, he his performance is more is more gimmicky and i i you know that sounds really really negative, but I don't really mean it that way like he's playing an alien and he has like all of these odd ticks and he, and you know the way he's he talks is very unnatural you know it it's more of like the uh you know he's he's playing an alien it's like it's a more actorly performance than what 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 Karen Allen has to work with so i'm i'm more impressed with with her work if if that makes sense
0: no like, I, I i think I,
1: I think that she actually has the harder job
0: i agree i just think that they're both they're
1: she, both great though they're both great
0: yeah i think it it would have been really easy to play this role in a generic sort of way, and I think Jeff Bridges makes decisions throughout this that, at least for me, subvert what someone alien would do. And I, I think like his body language is really well done, and it's not just like robotic. It's it's more like um, I don't know.
1: It's it's unnatural. He's he's always unnatural. unnatural. Like he doesn't he doesn't become human as the thing goes along, like there's always something off about him.
0: And what's great is you, is the movie sets you up. With that devastating scene in the beginning where she's watching home video footage of them when he was, when his, you know, he, he was a human. Um, and he's, you know, he's, you know, in that scene, he's the Jeff Bridges. We know the very late, you know, laid back, you know, easy going, sweet kind of guy with a winning smile and stuff. Um, and that just, you know, makes it even more of a contrast when you're um, as an alien. And, oh, we, we got to talk about effects here, by the way, because um, the scene of of the alien morphing to Jeff Bridges, clearly that is, if you're looking for a carpenter moment, like a signature John Carpenter section or, or, or something. I, I would be, I would point to that because that reminds me a lot of like the thing with like the dog. Um, obviously it's not as gruesome as something like the thing, but it's this, it's a baby kind of uh, mutating into a man. And I think it's Rick Baker and Stan Winston, effects, Stan Winston uh, special effects um and it's it's really uh unnerving.
1: You know, it didn't get a, a a visual effects Oscar nomination. Like it I think it should have just for that scene. Uh yeah. what what actually won that year? Temple of Doom.
0: Temple of Doom.
1: Which is which is good. Ghostbusters was also nominated 2010, but I I don't know. I I think I think that Starman scene is better than the uh the you know, pulling out the dude's heart in in Temple of Doom.
0: Oh yeah, I think this is. I think spoiler
1: this is, alert for Temple of Doom.
0: Thanks. <laughs> I think this is a, a much better film than Temple of Doom. Um,
1: personally, oh, but, uh, I, I don't know about that.
0: I do not like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, but mm. we'll save that for our 1984 show, which will be coming at the end of the year. We'll we'll do that. Uh, That'll
1: be a, a double feature with Gunga Din sometime.
0: There you go yeah
1: um. uh i anyway. <laughs> uh yeah i i i really i really like this i it was it was it was sweet and and moving in a way that i did not expect from john carpenter and i i wonder if like carpenter has like a a cult following now he hasn't really had any mainstream success in what twenty five years
0: long time
1: um but, the, but there are, are Carpenter Partisans out there. But this is one that I think doesn't get talked about as much as, like, Assault on Precinct 13 or, this, or the Kurt Russell films or, like, They Live or In the Mouth of Madness. And I, I, I think it might be because it's, it's so much more...
0: It's atypical.
1: Yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it's more uplifting than the thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: or, yeah, or, yeah, or I... you know, or, or Prince of Darkness, which is like the opposite of of Starman, but they're they're all so great, and and it is kind of missing. Like John Carpenter, when he's like really on his game, his movies have this really odd hypnotic rhythm to them, and you see that in in They Live and and Prince of Darkness in in particular. But uh, you also see it in Halloween, and there are there are a couple of shots in the beginning of Starman that that are are very signature John Carpenter shots. There's like uh, when when the alien before it's taken human form is like looking around and it it first encounters Karen Allen's house. You see like these point of view shots, and and the point of view shot is something that that Carpenter kind of. Uh, uh, pioneered the use of in in horror films with Halloween, where you see like the the killer's perspective as he's like looking in the windows, kind of you know peeping on like the babysitter in in the house. So you get like that vibe early on in Starman. So you know you're you're kind of unclear, or maybe this alien is like an evil John Carpenter alien, but then he like turns out to be you know a nice guy. Yeah. So it it it, it like it 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 doesn't become the john carpenter movie that you think it's going to be it it ends up right. being something else but that's that's something else i think is is really cool
0: i think it's totally worthwhile and i yeah I, I think that's that's the main reason it's overlooked is it's it it's not a quote unquote john carpenter film you know so unfortunately that means that it doesn't get as much love um but yeah i think this movie's solid um one? one oh you can could...
1: No, no, the 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 other thing that that really struck me with this is, and and this is like a, a germ of an idea that I had is is this is basically a road movie as as Allen and Bridges have to to drive from Wisconsin to Arizona, and it seemed to me that that road movies like this are a, like a a unique obsession of the baby boomer generation, and I don't know if it's you know something about the the postwar prosperity era the the kind of series of migrations of people moving like from the south to the industrial cities of in the north or from the east to the west or you know from the midwest to the southwest or if it's like the influence of Jack Kerouac and kind of hippie aesthetics or what but it seems like they made a lot of road movies and we don't really get them so much anymore and you didn't really get them before the late 1960s so i don't oh definitely yeah i don't i don't know what it is about that particular generation and this ideal of of you know travel as as romance as like personal journey to like self discovery or or self actualization or whatever but you see it all the time in baby boomer films and and Starman is is very much one of of that ilk.
0: Well, that's a, this would be an interesting double feature uh, with the film that came out the year after in 1985, um, Albert Brooks's Lost in America. Which...
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's one of the ones I was thinking of in in connection with this.
0: Yeah, well, that you know, it's hard to make a road movie a serious road movie um, about the baby boomer boomer, you know, ideals after that film. (laughs) So maybe that's why we don't see them anymore. Um, Albert, Albert Brooks killed it, but um,
1: as he has with so many other things,
0: that's right. Like
1: damn you, Albert Brooks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: What, so what was um, the the, the flaw in the movie from your, well, the flaw for
0: me was that, uh, the DVD copy I got was pan and scan.
1: Oh my God. I know
0: it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. And I know, (laughs) but I started to, I sat down to watch it. I got like two minutes in. I was like, wait a minute, this is pan and scan. Um, and so I stopped it and tried to find, um, you know, a streamable version of it and, uh, struck out. And so, um, I really want to see this again, maybe on Blu-ray, um, because I know that I missed a lot of really cool, um, this thing was, uh, one, three, three and, uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: you
1: gotta see, you gotta see John Carpenter in, in scope. Like any, anything else is not, is not Carpenter go.
0: Well, you know what the, the weird thing is, is the movie starts in scope, like in the, um, the yeah. space scene. uh uh-huh. Um, and then, and then it cuts to, you know, a square box
1: that that was the thing <laughs> that they would do with the the pan and scanning they would do the title sequence in the correct aspect ratio because otherwise they're cutting like the names off the edges of the screen and then once the titles go away they cut they cut it to the pan and scan it was it it was awful yeah it's
0: um, horrible i can't believe that there are still copies of the of movies circulating as pan and scan i, I didn't think it was possible but
1: uh, it's the, here the the blu-ray i rented from from scarecrow video it's not it's not a perfect blu-ray it's it's kind of uh uh scrubbed and and uh dnr'd but it's much better than that you you gotta watch it in in the proper aspect ratio for sure
0: oh i i i mean i was
1: i mean not know. right now because you know you just watched <laughs> it but but you know sometime
0: no, Something? I know. I mean, during, especially during that final scene, I was like, "Man, I'm missing a lot right now."
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think before we do the the end of the year 1984 thing, I think you should you should rewatch this on the on the Blu-ray.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll try and squeeze it in. Uh, so with that <laughs> we're gonna listen to more David Bowie. Um, I, everybody's probably guessing what we're gonna play right now, but uh, I think you should still tell them, Sean.
1: Uh, "Fantastic Voyage" off the
2: laundry. <laughs>
0: Booyah! Take that, listeners. You thought we were going to play something else.
2: In the event that this fantastic boy Should turn to him are valuable too We're learning to live with somebody's depression And I don't want to live with somebody's depression We'll get by I suppose it's a very modern world But nobody's perfect It's a moving world but that's no reason. Shoot some of those missiles. Think of us as fatherless scum. It won't be for gods and goods will never say.
0: Thank you, Davy Jones, for all that lovely music this week. Um, so, like we said uh, in the, you know earlier in the show, our next two shows are going to be dedicated to SIFF, uh, Seattle International Film Festival stuff. So get ready for that uh, in two weeks. And um, if you are in LA um, in at the end of this month, probably around the time we'll be posting that next show, um, May twenty third and twenty fourth. The New Beverly Cinema is going to be doing a double feature of uh, Roger Corman's The Mask of the Red Death uh, from 1964 and uh, Joe Dante's Matinee. And Joe Dante himself will be in person um, at the screenings for those shows. So if you you got to go Matinee, I just rewatched Matinee. My God, that movie is amazing. I love it. It's just great. So um, definitely check that out.
1: Yeah, I, I love both those movies, Matinee and and uh, Mask of the Red Death is is my favorite of the Roger Corman movies I've seen. That's that's a great pair. Yeah, it's uh, a 50th. Sorry. The Museum of the Moving Image in New York is uh, is doing a a big huge uh, retrospective of Kanji Mizoguchi, and they're playing a whole bunch of stuff starting this weekend and running through June eighth. And I think they're playing like everything that is still surviving of his career. And so yeah, you if you were in New York, you should go see them. Uh I don't know, are you are you a big Mizuguchi fan? Did you get to see any of the the last Mizuguchi retrospective that toured it played at the Northwest Film Forum maybe ten years ago?
0: I did. I saw Sancho the Bailiff and Ugetsu um there and I I really liked both of them. Um, it's a little—it's it, been a long time, so they're both a little hazy. Um, but I—I I do want to check out more, and I want—I want to revisit both of those as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, you, well, you already missed those, so they—they played—they played, <laughs> they played uh, yesterday and, and Friday. Ah, uh, shot. Uh, but playing on uh, on Saturday the tenth is the story of the last chrysanthemums, which is uh, from nineteen thirty nine, if I remember right. And that's one of the ones I, I, I saw at the, the Film Forum retrospective, and it's it's a really, really terrific movie. They're all really terrific. Uh, I would be most excited for, like, the ones that I haven't seen before, preferably the ones that aren't about the horrible lives of prostitutes, because he made a lot of movies but
0: that's about... But thing!
1: He made a lot of movies <laughs> about the horrible lives of prostitutes, but he made a lot of other movies, too. So they're playing a lot of those, like his version of the Masashi Miyamoto story, and yeah, there's some cool stuff there. The plane has 47 Ronin uh, at the end of May, like Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. Go see go see Mizuguchi. And for the love of God, if you're going to see the Mizuguchi movies, do not have a conversation about whether or not Mizuguchi is better than Kurosawa or Ozu or if Neruse <laughs> is better than any of them because they're all great and they're all different and they're all valuable and I love them all. So knock it off. People who have but to they're all things.
0: Japanese. How are we going to decide? They're, we have to pick one Japanese guy.
1: No, we don't. <laughs> there is room in the world for four. Five. Hiroshi Shimizu. Let's talk about Hiroshi Shimizu. <laughs> He's better than Kenji Mitsuguchi. My God.
0: Oh, no, you didn't.
1: <laughs> he made movies about masseuses, whereas Ozu just made the same movie about the families over and over. Oh, my God. Make it stop. Stupid film critic Twitter. God, I hate the internet.
0: You can find us online at thegeorgesandersshow.blogspot.com. We're also on Twitter at Geo Sanders Show. And you can email us at Show at gmail.com.
1: Next, ta- next time on the show, we're going to be talking about the movies that we've uh, managed to see at the Seattle International Film Festival. And that will pretty much be it.
0: Yeah, it'll probably be like a six-hour-long show. There will be no music breaks. There will be no bathroom breaks. It's going to be insane.
1: Okay, there, there will have to be bathroom
0: breaks. <laughs> Get a diaper.
1: All right. All right <laughs> on that, on that uh, happy note, let's uh, <laughs> listen to some more David Bowie. This is uh, from his latest album. Uh, it is The Stars Are Out Tonight.